Mark chapter 4, begin reading verse 33. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to use one of the ones in the seat in front of you, reading from the same version as that. And if you don't own a Bible, we encourage you to take one of those home with you as our gift to you. Mark chapter 4, verse number 33. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, how can you not believe? How can you not believe? And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then they came to the other side of the sea. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Thankful for this wonderful story. Such power, such amazing things seen here. I just pray, Father, that you would help us to see it today. I pray you'd help us in our mind's eye to go back and join that little band of disciples on that bouncing boat and and, uh, get just a glimpse of this. I pray you'd speak to us, and I pray you'd encourage us today as we think about what, what is here for us. I pray, Lord, if there are those without Christ, that they would see and hear their need of this Savior. And I pray for those who are here with Christ, that they would be encouraged by the Savior that they have. So bless this time. Fill me with your Spirit. Help me, Lord, to preach well today. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you protect me from saying anything I ought not, and help me to say anything I should as boldly as I can. And just bless this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, obviously an amazing thing occurred here. An amazing miracle occurred in this passage. Jesus spoke and nature obeyed. Jesus spoke and a storm stopped. Jesus spoke and wind was stilled. Crashing waves disappeared. Became still and silent against the boat. Jesus spoke. An apparent disaster became peace and calm. Then Jesus spoke again, this time to his disciples, and he asked them a question. He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Verse number 40. Now, some of the other translations, the ESV and NIV particularly, render that verse, do you still have no faith? Why are you so fearful? Do you still have no faith. Imagine that question. Imagine that question hanging in the air in that particular scene, that, 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 the, the air that is now so silent and still. Imagine it falling on the astonished ears of the disciples, ears that had so recently been filled with the roar of wind and the crashing of thunder and the beating of waves. And now there was only stillness. And those words, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, think about that question. It's a question that we might understand being asked of some people. We might not be surprised if Jesus asked that question to the Pharisees, 
who for the most part refused to believe, no matter what they saw. We might not be surprised if he had turned, and maybe he did, if he had turned and looked right into Judas's eyes, Judas who was no doubt on that boat, Judas who was pretending to believe, but whose lack of faith would very soon now become evident. There's several obvious unbelievers in the Bible, and in the New Testament especially, that we might not be at all surprised to hear Jesus ask that question of. How, how is it that you have no faith? We might not be surprised if he asked it of Felix. You remember Felix? Paul uh, reasoned with Felix of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, and Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. Not interested right now. Not ready to believe. We, we, we might have seen it asked of King Agrippa, who also witnessed to by Paul, said, You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost, but not quite. It would be a great question to ask Pontius Pilate, wouldn't it? Who was standing eyeball to eyeball with the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, and yet still refused to believe. There's all kinds of people we wouldn't have been surprised to hear Jesus ask this question of, but he asked it of his disciples, of his followers, of believers. And I would suggest that in so asking, he compels us to ask it of ourselves. And to examine ourselves, he compels us to wonder how, in light of all we know about Jesus Christ, we could ever struggle to believe. We could ever question. We could ever not believe. Let's break this story down a little bit and notice some of the components of it and see if it helps us to see this. I want you to notice, first of all, that the disciples knew the Savior's plan. They knew his plan. Look at verse number 34. Without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. I read all the way into chapter 5 and verse number 1 because I wanted you to see that first, part, that first part. Then they came to the other side. Well, notice his plan. Let us cross over to the other side. Mark chapter 5, verse number 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea. Jesus had a plan. And he had revealed it to them. Unlike others who maybe didn't know what Jesus planned to do, he had revealed much of it, maybe all of it, to them. I love verse 34 because it reminds me that Jesus didn't keep secrets from them. He didn't keep things from them. He told them things. When they got alone with him, he told them and revealed things to them. That verse tells me. And verse 35 tells us what his plan was in this instance. Let us cross over to the other side. His plan was safe passage. His safe, it was safe passage to the other side. He planned for them to get there and implied in the fact that Jesus was the one doing the planning was the promise of safely arriving at that destination. So they really had no reason to fear, did they? They had no reason to waver in their faith, did they? The fact that Jesus had a plan, had shared it with them, had never failed to keep a single promise that he'd ever made to them before, it ought to have given them every reason to believe. How could they not believe in light of his plan? But here he is saying in verse number 40, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? There's an application here. There's an application all throughout here to to all of us. And in this case, the application is this. He promises us safe passage too, doesn't he? His plan for you, Christian, is safe passage. We, We can apply this thought to a couple of different places. We can apply this thought to the reality of death. I think that would be the most obvious place to apply it. We all must face death, and none of us want to think about that. But we all must face death. It's a great unknown. But he plans to get us to the other side. 
He promises to get us to the other side. Oh, we could read verse after verse after verse. John 5, 24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John chapter 6 and verse 40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 6, 47, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We could apply this all over the place, but certainly we could apply it there, couldn't we? To the reality of death. We could also apply it to the reality of living, the struggles and the difficulties we might go through, whatever we go through in this life, whatever struggles, whatever trials, whatever hurts, whatever needs, whatever concerns, whatever disappointment, sickness, lack, want, whatever. Jesus has planned to get us through it and promised to get us through it. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We know that no temptation has overtaken you except as such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. His plan was safe passage to the other side. His plan for us is safe passage to the other side. Well, that's one thing. Let's notice something else here. I want you to notice verse 36 and notice that they were aware of the Savior's presence. They were aware of the Savior's presence when they had left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was. So Jesus was with them. He was with them in the boat. Surely that ought to have provided reason for faith. I'm unaware, I I could be wrong, but I'm unaware of any time in their experience with Jesus when he had disappointed them. I I can think of no example from Scripture where these men were in danger when they were in the presence of the Savior. There were some terrifying, intense moments to come. There was coming the moment when they were going to see him taken from them and crucified. They were going to know confusion and fear. It was going to be real then. But that was future. Up to this point, none of that had happened. At this point, they had seen nothing but victory. They'd seen nothing but power from Jesus. And he was there. He was with them in the boat. How could they not believe in light of his presence with them? He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And is it not true with us? Jesus is with us. We read that verse every Christmas. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. He came to be with us, and he is with us always. That truth was stated at his birth, and we sing it every Christmas. It was also stated again as he ascended back to heaven. It was just like bookends to his life on this earth. God with us. And then at the very end, as he departed, Mark chapter or Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How, how can we be fearful in light of his presence with us? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And amazingly, it doesn't stop with his being with us. The Bible takes it even farther. The Bible says not only is Jesus with us, not only is God with us, the Bible says God is in us. What an amazing thought that is. Paul said to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Amazing. 
Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The songwriter said, Once far from God and dead in sin, no light my heart could see. But in God's word the light I found. Now Christ liveth in me. As lives the flower within the seed, as in the cone the tree, so praise the Christ of truth and grace, his spirit dwelleth in me. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ liveth in me. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I see another thing here. It's in verse number 37. I see that in spite of all this, they feared the storm. They feared the storm. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, again, you've got to put yourself there. You've got to, in your mind's eye, sit down in that boat, and you have to look around. And what you're going to see is a group of men there that were hardly inexperienced when it came to storms at sea. Most of these guys were seasoned fishermen. Storms were hardly unknown on the Sea of Galilee. Wind was part of the deal. Waves were a common occurrence. They'd seen hundreds of them. They knew exactly what to do. They knew how to deal with them. But along with that knowledge was the knowledge that there are some storms that can't be handled. Some storms are too big. My mind goes back to a particularly dark moment in the life of my family. My son had just been diagnosed with cancer. He and his wife had only been married a very short time. They were very young at the time. They had little experience with tragedy, little experience with trial. And now they face this storm. A storm of immense magnitude. I remember sitting across the table in their kitchen. They just had a little tiny apartment at the time. And I listened to my daughter-in-law, and I watched her face as she struggled to be brave. Explain their plans for getting through this thing. It's trying so hard to indicate that this thing was not going to beat them. We're going to get through this. It's not going to beat us. But the thing I remember is the fear in her voice was real. And I, I looked across the table at her, and I, I remember saying something like this. I remember saying, you know, telling them I was proud of the way that they were trying to handle this so bravely and strongly. But I remember telling her, Allison, some storms are too big. Sometimes you need to ask for help. And this is one of those times. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boats that it was already filling. One day, Peter did the unexplainable. He walked on the water. Remember that story? Jesus had done it. And so Peter said, hey, I want to do that too. So he walked on the water. But as he stepped across the waves toward Jesus, he noticed something. He noticed there was a storm around him. And as he began to look at it, he saw that the wind was boisterous, and he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been there, and I, and I think you probably have too. The storm rages, and the only prayer we seem to be able to put up is help. 
You ever been there? And so I think we can sympathize a bit with these guys, can't we? These guys who knew an unsurvivable storm when they saw one. They knew Jesus planned to get them to the other side. They were aware of that. They had heard all that. They knew he was right then present with them in the boat. But the storm of storms was raging around them. This was the big one. And they were afraid. So I see something else here. I see that they wondered at the Savior's peace. They wondered at his peace. He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse number 38. He was asleep on a pillow. So many questions come to my mind from that scene. I don't know about you. What must the disciples have thought as the boat was rocking dangerously from side to side, as waves were pouring over the gunwales and water was sloshing about, rising higher and higher in the boat? And they looked into the stern and there was Jesus sleeping. The question that naturally arose in their terrified minds and spilled from their frightened lips was, doesn't he care? How can he be sleeping? And I'm sure at least one of them, if I had been there, this question would have come out of my mind. At least one of them must have said, why is there a pillow on a fishing boat? Somebody must have said that. I'm not sure. He was asleep on a pillow or a cushion, Brother Carl. I think it needs to be a reminder to us of some things. I think it needs to remind us that nothing surprises the Savior. Absolutely nothing. I don't know. I don't know who first asked the question, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? But whoever did, he really nailed it. It's absolutely true. Jesus was not surprised by this storm. This storm was right on schedule. This storm was part of the plan. And he was not surprised by it. And in the same manner, no storm you face and no storm I face is a surprise to him either. There's no sin in your life. There's no uh, difficulty, no circumstance, no struggle, no storm that arises in your life that is a surprise to the Master. Oh, but some might say, ah, that sounds all good, but you do not know what I'm going through. And it's true, I don't. And probably nobody else in the room does, but if you look at him peacefully sleeping on a pillow, you'll see nothing surprises him. He knows what you're going through. And another thing we're reminded of as we see him sleeping there is that nothing frightens the Savior. This storm frightened Peter. Peter. Now, there's a lot of things we could say about Peter, but Peter was not a wimp. This storm terrified him. This storm frightened James and John, men who were described in the Bible as the sons of thunder. I don't know how they got that name, but it makes me think they were not girly men. I think they were men's men, and they were terrified. It terrified everybody in that boat except one person, Jesus, because nothing frightens Jesus. So look at him asleep there on that pillow and see his peace, and you too can have peace in the midst of whatever storms you may face. I see another thing here. I see that they watched the Savior's power. They watched his power. Look at verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. What an astonishing verse that is. Jesus arose. He spoke. He said three words. Three And the wind went from gale force to zero. There was calm. Not just calm, but the Bible says a great calm. And I can imagine that the only sound to be heard 15 seconds after his three-word miracle was the beating of the hearts of those disciples. 
This is an amazing demonstration of the Savior's power. And they'd seen quite a bit of that already. So it shouldn't really have surprised them. Up to this point, they had witnessed, and this is just from the Gospel of Mark that we've already seen. Up to this point, the disciples had witnessed Jesus casting out demons, healing Peter's mother-in-law, cleansing a leper, healing the sick of the palsy, and straightening a withered hand. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11 that they were witnesses to multiple healings and cleansings. And so we could argue that these earlier demonstrations should have given them faith during the storm. After all, why didn't they have faith they had seen his power demonstrated all along? But this was different. Now they were seeing that his power was indisputable, that his power was without limits. And look at their odd response. One more thing I'll, I'll, I'll point out, and then we're done. Look at their, their odd response. It's verse number 41. They feared him more than they feared the storm after they saw this. They feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? They had watched Jesus rise. They heard him speak. They heard him speak three words. They saw the waves stop on command. They heard the wind stilled with those three words, and their very first response was fear. Fear. And I would suggest God's presence has always caused awe and fear. When the children of Israel saw Moses' face glowing from being in God's presence, it elicited fear. Moses himself feared when he saw the burning bush and realized it was the glory of God. The children of Israel were terrified when God appeared on Mount Sinai. God's presence has always caused fear. It's always elicited awe. I've shared with you before the story of the preacher. And I can't remember who told this story. I think it was John MacArthur who told this story. But he was describing a conversation he had had with another preacher. And the second preacher was a believer in signs and wonders. And this second preacher was telling him how while he was shaving that morning, getting ready for work, he had uh, had a vision of Jesus Christ. and A 50-foot Jesus had appeared to him and spoke to him. And the first preacher, who I believe was John MacArthur, said he sat and listened for a few minutes. And finally he asked him one question, just one question. He said, I just want to know one thing. Did you keep shaving? Did you keep shaving? And the guy said, well, why would you ask me that? And he said, because if you saw Jesus, you would have been on your face before him. And that's absolutely true. Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. These disciples, these disciples looked at the sea that moments before they thought brought their deaths. They felt the absence of the wind that had so recently buffeted them almost out of the boat. They gazed out across the great calm that had descended on the Sea of Galilee, and then they looked at the man who was standing so quietly in the stern of the boat. And they feared. And they feared because they knew he was God. He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? We might look at these trembling men and ask them, guys, in light of all that you know about Jesus Christ, or you already knew about Jesus Christ, how can you not believe? In light of his plan, in light of his presence with you in the boat, in light of his peace, in light of his power. But while we're asking those questions, let's ask them of ourselves. Let's ask them of ourselves. How can we not believe? Listen, my friend, if you're a Christian, then Jesus has already said you're going to make it to the other side. Jesus is with you. Jesus is actually in you through the storm as well as during the calm. Jesus is not afraid. 
but rather at peace during whatever storm you're going through. And Jesus has more power than any storm. It's a lady by the name of Mary Baker, and she wrote a hymn that we've sung many, many times in the past. It's an old hymn called Master, the Tempest is Raging. And I want to read for you her words, why she wrote that particular hymn. It was based on this passage that we've just shared this morning. Here's what she said. She said, Dr. Palmer requested me to prepare several songs on the subject of the current Sunday school lessons. One of the themes was Christ stilling the tempest. It so expressed an experience I had recently passed through that this hymn was the result. A very dear and only brother, a young man of rare loveliness and promise of character had been laid in the grave, a victim of the same disease that had already taken father and mother. His death occurred under peculiarly distressing circumstances. He was more than a thousand miles away from home, seeking in the balmy air of the sunny south the healing that our colder climate could not give. Suddenly he grew worse. The writer was ill and could not go to him. For two weeks, the long lines of telegraph wires carried back and forth messages between the dying brother and his waiting sisters ere the word came which told us that our beloved brother was no longer a dweller on the earth. Although we mourned not as those without hope, and although I had believed on Christ in early childhood and had always desired to give the Master a consecrated and obedient life, I became wickedly rebellious at this dispensation of divine providence. I said in my heart that God did not care for me or mine. But the Master's own voice stilled the tempest in my unsanctified heart and brought it to the calm of a deeper faith and a more perfect trust. And out of that storm, came the words of the hymn. Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is o'ershadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep? Master, with anguish of spirit, I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. Torrents of sin and of anguish sweep o'er my sinking soul, and I perish, I perish, dear Master, O hasten and take control. Master, the terror is over, the elements sweetly rest. Earth's sun in the calm lake is mirrored, and heavens within my breast linger. O blessed Redeemer, leave me alone no more, and with joy I shall make the blessed harbor and rest on the blissful shore. The wind and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace, be still. Peace. Be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea, or demons, or men, or whatever it be, no waters, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace. Be still. Peace. Be still. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 